0: Hello and welcome to DDA's Encouraging Abilities podcast. I am your host, Evan Kelly, Communications Manager for Developmental Disabilities Association. Now, we've been doing a lot of podcasts on inclusion and accessibility, so today my guest is Jade Werger with Sport Ability. This is the first in a series of accessible sports-related podcasts. Now, I met Jade at DDA's Leisure Fair in Vancouver a couple of weeks ago and we had finally got the fair up and running after uh, a couple of years due to COVID, of course, was shut down and there were roughly 25 organizations taking part. And It was great to see how many options uh, that people with disabilities have now to get moving and staying healthy. All sorts of adaptive sports and inclusive programs are happening in B.C. these days. Sports, Sportability is one of those organizations. Now, Jade joined Sportability Team in February 2017 as the Sport Development Coordinator. She graduated from uh, Castle, Castleton University in 2013 with a BA in Health Psychology and a minor in Fitness and Sports Science. While attending Castleton, Jade was a member of the Women's Varsity Hockey Team, as she holds a master's degree in Kinesiology from UBC, where her thesis uh, focused on hockey official penalty decision making so thanks for joining me today jade
1: yeah thanks for having me evan
0: now this is really curious to me i grew up playing hockey so i I, your thesis uh is interesting hockey penalty decision making can you tell me a bit about that thesis it sounds interesting
1: yeah so uh so kind of you know as you mentioned in my introduction there um with my degree my undergraduate degree in health psychology and fitness and sports science, um, my, my interest really lies in uh, sports psychology. Uh, so when I was going to UBC, um, and doing my thesis and thinking about, you know, what areas I might want to focus research on, um, that's where looking at, you know, the cognitive effects on uh, hockey official referees, um, and their penalty decision-making kind of, um, came about and looking at more of the psychological effects on, uh, how that could affect um, their decisions on ice and, and the games overall. So um, without getting into too, too much detail, basically, um, I recruited local minor hockey officials in the lower mainland of BC, and I had experienced officials involved as well who essentially, um, you know, I, I used the minor hockey officials to collect uh, live footage of minor hockey games using uh, GoPros on their helmets. Um, because I wanted to use this as part of my research to look at these effects to help with uh, referee training at, and at the minor hockey level, and so a lot of the research in that area, um, you know, there's video that they use to help train referees, but it's it's from a spectator's view or a bird's eye view, which hmm. isn't as realistic as having something on someone's helmet where, um, you know, that's what they're going to see on ice. Um, so collected videos that way, and then had my experienced officials. Um, after I went through video clips and edited pieces where there could potentially be penalty calls, um, I had the experienced officials evaluate watching those clips, whether they were penalties or not. And that was basically my answer key. And then I used uh, minor hockey officials to then look at those videos and make their call um, and had that in different video sequence conditions. So um, basically, there was four sequences where they would see so one would be as if you're watching a game all the way through with information of that game so the what you might see on a score clock available and then i had that same condition without that information available and then other two conditions were randomized with or without information and really what i was looking for was if game information was going to potentially influence their decision making so say the home team's up three to one and and there's a penalty um, against that home team, are we gonna see any differences with um, what they might be watching? Um, And then I also used a a existing um, stress questionnaire for officials too, Hmm. um, that really evaluate, you know, it was just a questionnaire where it was, um, you know, how stressful do you um, find verbal abuse from coaches? And they would rate it on, on the scale
0: no, I, I just find it interesting because I I, I uh, did play hockey growing up, and I did a f- a referee for two years uh, while mm-hmm. I was you know you know much much younger, probably around the age of sixteen. And you know, talking about stressors of you know parents and coaches yelling and stuff, I, that's that goes into how you might end up officiating a game.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and obviously, you know, as you mentioned, I have played hockey uh, for most of my life, um, and was fortunate to play in college and. So that's where looking at officials in that sport um kind of drew that interest and i had a bit of a fishing and coaching experience as well uh within hockey so yeah so definitely interesting um you know stuff to look at and and we'll
0: have lots of sports euphemisms so that tees it up for this tell me a little bit Mm -hmm. about sportability
1: yeah so sportability in a nutshell is um a disability sport organization for british Columbians with physical disabilities so we oversee, we're a multi-sport organization. So we oversee uh, para-hockey or what's better known as sledge hockey, boccia, power chair soccer, and para-soccer. So um, we really, our goal is to provide access to sport for uh, persons with disabilities in BC. And um, and that's anywhere from starting out and getting involved at the grassroots level um, all the way through to high performance. So trying to provide those opportunities for different sport pathways um so people can participate uh, where where they best you know where they mm-hmm. feel most comfortable
0: now you've got uh, a huge background in sports huge education in sports what got you interested in working for this particular organization
1: yeah well i aside from hockey um like on a personal uh standpoint i grew up playing um lacrosse it was another one that um was kind of keep me in shape for the summer as I got more competitive with hockey. And, um, I enjoy golfing, skiing, um, really just being active. And now in my adult life, just kind of that active for life phase, I play, I think four or five different sports. Um, (laughs) some, some more, some like golf, you know, where it's just in and out, um, you know, just kind of here and there. And then there's really four sports that I play two in the winter, two in the spring, summer, um, that are team sports and, and stuff so um, yeah just personal that way and then um, you know my education uh, interest there and then I briefly mentioned you know I was involved in roughing and um, I was coaching um, U18 girls uh, rep team when I was finishing my math or doing my master's as well um, so kind of that coaching side and really when it was nearing the end of my master's degree I was on a contract student position with uh Pacific Sport Fraser Valley. So um my my job there was a physical literacy coordinator. So I was doing a lot of um general just um physical literacy or fundamental movement skills and um really just getting kids active. Um so whether that was through sport or recreation um with Pacific Sport and then as I was nearing the end of my masters and that contract was kind of timing with that I Uh, was looking to get into a full-time career in in the sport field and um, just looking uh, for that job there was a position with sportability at the time uh, for full-time position. so um, yeah just interviewed there and um, you know here I am today I guess six Six years later, it worked out. So yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, so that's how I I got involved in, in
0: that. So as it as you know, being involved with athletes with disabilities, that has that opened up your uh, your eyes and your mind a little bit in terms of sport.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, and that was something I you know I've had this conversation with other people. You know, they've asked how I got involved or what kind of drove me to adapted sport or working with persons with disabilities. And um, I, I guess when I applied, you know, I wasn't really thinking too much of whether it's Mainstream sport or uh, you know a different avenue with adapted sport that would be new and I had a bit of education um, you know maybe a class or two where we talked about um, you know human growth and development and we would touch on different things of um, disabilities and things like that but yeah it wasn't a a primary focus like say somebody in recreational therapy for me Um, so yeah it was it was really new in terms of who I was serving and who I was working with, um, coming into sportability, but really, you know, not to sound cliche or anything, but it really is sport. Um, and you, you just adapt, like they're people, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right. It's, <laughs> it's no, no different. Uh, it's co- it's
0: healthy competition.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I just really learned, I guess, along the way in terms of, um, just from, you know, the athletes that I work with themselves or coaches about, you know, maybe the different adaptions or uh, maybe understanding their disabilities a little bit more. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, even today, it's not a, I go and it's not a primary thing I'm focused on of what's this person's disability. Um, you do, obviously, it's important to know and acknowledge mm-hmm. because um, that's helpful information to know. But I mean, typically, I, I just ask the individual, you know, as example, like, how are you most comfortable transferring from your chair to the sled? Um, I'm not going to tell you how to do that. You know, you know, Mm -hmm. your body the best. Um, I think it's, you know, and that can be different for everybody, even if they do have a similar uh, disability and then someone else, it it still can be very different. So, um, yeah, I think just my personality of being personable and, and I'm not afraid to ask somebody a question. Um, you know, obviously I'm trying to be respectful and and understand what works best for them because I want them to have the best experience. Um, you know, so yeah that's that's kind of been my approach of really just being open to learning and um, and yeah, really just chatting with people and getting to know them um, and you know seeing where they're comfortable in terms of um, if there are certain adaptions we have to make to, say uh, like equipment's the biggest part, where we have to make different adaptions, um, even even if it is adaptive equipment, you know, like I said, everybody's different. sometimes right. we need to figure out a way. Um, to even make that that work for different individuals as well. Yeah, of
0: course, that's not a one size fits all kind of thing. Yeah.
1: yeah. So,
0: the um, sportability. I know you facilitate. Uh, you know, uh, uh, soccer and and hockey. Uh, do you actually train athletes in these uh, vocations, if you will? Like, uh, have you got training programs?
1: Yeah. So, so the way we kind uh, of we kind of touch on uh, all different areas. So. Um, Program, so something like a weekly program, we try and, um, like, depending on the sport, there there are different programs across the province in different locations. And that's really determined on where there's interest, um, mm-hmm. where there's the resources and the partnerships uh, that we work with, um, because we're, you know, we're located in Vancouver. Uh, we're a small organization. there can't We can't be everywhere at once. So really building relationships um, for coaches or um, community partners and um, facilities to get things, you know, up and running and, and happy on, on a regular basis so people can access these types of programs. Um, that's that's a huge thing with us and volunteers and, and everything. So um, that's kind of the program side of things. And then in terms of, you know, I touched on the the different pathways. So say somebody trying to progress to a competitive stream, um we that's where we'll find typically well everyone really the volunteers is the coaches and stuff. typically at the high performance level those coaches i mean at least right now have some sort of connection to that sport so whether they're a family member or they've worked with us before say as a, a summer student or or something um that have just you know really been interested and, and want to um, support and help out. Um, That's really at the high performance level of where um, those people come into place and and officials and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also offer training camps throughout the year to really kind of a a mix of two things. One to whether it might be helping uh, maybe gain more interest in a community that's a new program. Um, Us being there, trying to build up and help those leaders who've uh, said they'll support, but they need a bit, more training or resources or just opportunity to connect with us, um, and our, and our athletes, um, that have been playing a while. That's always a helpful thing. Um, we'll hold those camps for that, uh, for recruitment. And then also just the high performance side of things. Um, so say a, a provincial team, they'll have private camps that will be for their training, um, to help them, you know, train for their competition, mm-hmm. uh, that we go into. So, so with the high performance teams, that's typically a Canadian national championship uh, that they train for throughout the year to then compete against other provinces um, at the end of the, of the season. So.
0: Now, I've got a son who plays soccer, and, uh, you know, growing up, um, finding coaches, you know, mm-hmm. even sometimes finding officials uh, for, you know, typically developed kids is sometimes difficult. Do you, is, it, is it easy to find coaches to come and... Uh, and, and that said... Are these specialized coaches as well?
1: Yeah, so uh, I guess it would—it would—I w- I wouldn't say easy. Um, I mean, you're asking volunteers to commit mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit of their time. Um, it's really—it's really hit or miss. I think um, depending on the situation, the sport, um, and yeah, so what what that looks like. So, as an example for a situation, so we have. Uh, community coaches, so people that are volunteers that run a weekly program, you know, in Vancouver, say. Um, those volunteers are, the way that I've kind of connected with them um, uh, is really through things like Volunteer Connector, um, connecting with university programs, so say UBC Kin or UFE Uf- Kin, and, um, and uh yeah just really and even partners there so we have um, some teachers that we've connected with to do you know information talks for their adapted sport class that then we're speaking to the students that can help uh, that might be interested in getting volunteer hours or getting involved to help you know maybe their goal is physiotherapy down the road Um, and even things like that sunset uh, community center uh, that we met at um, for the disability uh, association there Um, you know, that's a way for us to get visible and and be open to recruiting volunteers and or participants. So a ton of our volunteers are are just people that, you know, are looking for opportunities um, to volunteer and then they really learn. Um, We mentor them and provide them resources and training to talk about the sports and working with uh, persons with disabilities. but people that are involved more at the high performance level typically tend to be volunteers that have another connection. Um, so whether they're a family member of one of the athletes, um, or like our provincial botcha coach, she formal used to uh, be a former employee with us. Um, and you know, really took to botcha and had that Mm -hmm. that knowledge when she worked with us and was interested in, in coaching. So, um, Yeah, so it it all kind of varies. Um, The community partners, you know, I mentioned are huge with getting programs going. So an example of where um, we have those is in Prince George, the Northern Adapted Sport Association. Um, They oversee para hockey there, and they also oversee other adapted sports like basketball and and things like that. Um, And then in Kamloops, Kamloops Adapted Sport Association, um, was involved with us in the beginning with the Kamloops Para Hockey Program, but also Pacific Sport Interior has been a, a partner there. So, yeah, it really varies on I think the situation, the program um, support, and then the event support and and the you know high performance team support. So, yeah, it's and then in terms of um, officials, it's same thing we kind of do with our um, with our community coach uh call outs so when we put it on volunteer connector or reach out to universities and, and different things. Um we'll usually put it out there when we're looking for to host a referee clinic um for you know one of our sports and um yeah and then just hope people sign up and mentor them and stick around. But uh even in in we've even we've found with um as example with our botcha referees there's the ones that typically stick with it and um are really helpful somebody that's had a connection to the to the sport somehow um so it yeah it really seems to be that tight-knit community
0: that's great now now sportability like in the drop down on your website you offer a few different sports now you've got power soccer uh you've got the the sledge hockey the boccia which you've I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly um yep. <laughs> is those those are the sports that you focus on or is there like more to it
1: yeah so we have uh four sports so I think uh para soccer is back up on our website um so yeah, right. yeah so uh para hockey or sledge hockey um I, I could give a brief description of each, each sport just for the listeners if they're well
0: yeah not sure. you, you call it power soccer what do you mean by power soccer mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So power soccer is uh, power wheelchair soccer. So it's a form of soccer used by power wheelchair users. So um, we play typically in a gym with um, an oversized soccer ball that's about 13 inches. And on the front of each person's power chair, they use a what we call a guard. Uh, so it's either a plastic or a metal essentially kind of bumper that we attach onto the front of their chair. And they're u- they're able to use that to. Uh, kick the soccer ball and the soccer ball is larger um, partially for visibility, just if you were sitting in a power chair using it so you can see it in front of you. Um, but also just so does not get stuck under the guard or under the chair, um, you know, to, to then wedge there. So in power soccer at a game, um, there's usually a goalie on each team. Uh, so you set up nets with the large uh, cones in the gym And then uh, there's three players each on the floor. So four for each team total. Um, And you just, yeah, the goal is is a lot of very similar rules to um, mainstream soccer. Uh, But yeah, really just trying to get the the ball in the net to score goals and win. Um, And there's some different rules within that uh, in terms of two on ones and um, being in the crease and, and things like that. Um, and power soccer isn't yet uh, a Paralympic sport, but it is a World Cup sport.
0: Oh, it sounds that sounds great. I mean, it actually it actually sounds fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh,
1: it's very cool to to watch. And um, even in power soccer, there is a specific sport chair uh, that can be bought and used for power mm. soccer. That basically is more agile, quick. Um, so it allows for more power when kicking the ball and things like that, versus a everyday chair.
0: Now, for for a sledge hockey, are the you know I'm we're Canadian, we like hockey. Yeah. <laughs> are the rules primarily the same?
1: Yeah, very much so. Um, so it's really all the all the same rules um, as stand up hockey. Uh, there's a couple different penalties. Um, so. Uh, there is one called stabbing, uh, which is what it is. It sounds like, um, <laughs> because yeah, in, uh, in para hockey, there's, uh, to push yourself on the ice, you have two, essentially two small hockey sticks, yeah. uh, that have, you know, the curved blade on the end to shoot and pass, but on the other end are ice picks. And that's what you use to push yourself on mm-hmm. the ice. So you, if you've got a stabbing penalty, that would be using your stick to, stab an opponent uh you know hopefully people I don't guess do that's that it's kind
0: that of isn't... like slashing and <laughs> yeah, yeah. a, yeah.
1: <laughs> a, a little bit more it would be a major uh, and then there's also a, a penalty called t-boning so that would be when you use the front of your sled to ram or run into another person's sled from the side front back it's i would call it something similar to like a check from behind nice. um, it's a dangerous play. You're not to use your sled as a, you know, a bumper car, or right. as a weapon, right, to, to hurt because they're steel. So if you got hit in the side of the leg with that at a pretty decent speed, that wouldn't uh, be great. Um, but, yeah, everything else in terms of the rules are the same. Um, different things that kind of come up are, like, to call an offside, you would call that based on where the blades cross the blue line because, depending on the individual. Um, so say there's somebody that has a double leg amputee, they would have a shorter sled nose, like where their nose is on the sled, um, versus somebody who, um, you know, maybe plays that has spina bifida, say, um, that their sled's longer, because um, they need that room for their legs that, um, yeah, calling an offside, you would call it by the blades versus the, the nose of the sled. Um, so yeah, so a couple different things, but, um, yeah, I mean, if you watched a game, it wouldn't be anything different than you watching, you know, a mainstream hockey game. So.
0: Now, uh, officiating for uh, sledge hockey, are, are the, do the officials have to be um, uh, in, in one of those um, uh, devices as in well, the, or can they just be typically developed or someone who doesn't have a disability?
1: Yeah, so, yeah, that's a good question. So I've only seen stand-up officials in pair hockey, so, uh, officials that, you know, use, um, skates on their yep. feet and, um, officiate it. It's helpful in terms of, I think one seeing the play, cause you're able to look down, uh, since everybody's sitting in the sleds. Um, uh, and also just if, I think if there was an injury or if you need to get somebody out of a scrum or whatever, getting in there is a bit easier, uh, than if you were in a, using a sled, um, and same with dropping the puck and things like that. But I, I yeah, like I said, I've never seen somebody officiate in a sled, but I'm sure it wouldn't, you know, if that opportunity came up, it would definitely be up for discussion, I'm sure, um, you know, depending what level it was it was taking place at.
0: Sure. Now you've got, you've got bocce ball and what other sport?
1: And uh, para-soccer. So
0: para-soccer and power-soccer are two different things, are they?
1: Yeah, correct. So para-soccer... Is uh, is a version of stand up soccer, um, so it was. I think it was originally called seven aside soccer, but they've changed it to para soccer. Um, but essentially, it's shorter field, smaller nets, um, and it's really a game that was developed for um, people that might have, say, a low level of CP, so they're ambulatory, but maybe their their gait or their energy is affected because of their disability. That playing in mainstream soccer. Mm-hmm would be challenging, um, or somebody with a brain injury, uh, things like that. So, um, yeah, so it's, 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 it's nice to have, because I often find chatting with people, they're, they're people that have disabilities where they're often told they might not be disabled enough hmm. or, um, you know, or, and, or there might be, a you know, it's not completely visible to. Um, to everybody so it's nice to have a sport where it's essentially made for that group of people um, because often other adapted sports um, that might be something where you know they might not be what we call classifiable in that sport if they wanted to say compete at a high level Um, or again in mainstream sport it's challenging because their disability is affecting um, you know their motor function and Um, really being able to enjoy it and keep up and have fun right so um, yeah so that's where para soccer is in my mind is a very niche group Um, and I love you know with soccer being such a huge sport really around the world it's um, I'm glad to see that there's an option there for everybody yeah, no, You know, with the power right. soccer and, yeah, so and are, everything too, so. Are
0: your services primarily for people with physical disabilities or are there athletes with developmental disabilities as well?
1: Yeah, so our our mandate and our, um, really, who we serve is is persons with physical disabilities, but um, we have had athletes that, say, might have a dual diagnosis, so a developmental and a physical disability, um, and really... At a program level, so community, weekly, everyday program, um, you know, if somebody with developmental disability wanted to come and play, we're not going to turn them away, Um, you know, but as the, if that person was looking to get into high performance, that's where the classification starts to come in, um, where they have to meet, you know, a criteria essentially um, to participate at that level. Um, And then also just looking at, um, because this is a question I get quite often from people, you know, looking to get involved in sport is something, a tool that I um, have is, you know, knowing about other sport organizations for persons with developmental disabilities as well, because I'll get asked often, you know, well, is my child able to participate in the sport and, you know, what would be the best way? And um, so being able to know about, you know, other organizations that focus on persons with developmental disabilities um you know it's nice to have and, and being able to provide people with those spaces because um ultimately and they're going to have a better experience um you know with that focus to, to help with their needs as well um so yeah so there's a reason uh, you know all these different organizations uh, exist right yeah, exactly um yeah so we like i said like we don't turn people away at a, at a community level or even a, say a local event, if we're having like a fun tournament or something. Uh, but as you know, if somebody was looking to progress in the sport, there are, there's a classification system at that level where, um, people are assessed and, and part of that assessment is their disability.
0: Now, how have you, how, uh, have you seen this sort of sector grow over the past few years?
1: Uh, yeah. Um, it's, well, I mean, we had the COVID break there, so that was <laughs> yeah, that a bit, help. uh, a bit weird, but the last couple of years, uh, you know, it's been great to see people back out. Um, I think I would like to be optimistic and think that the world is becoming more aware of, uh, ableism and, um, just being more aware of, you know, considering everybody, uh, when say building something or in, you know, hosting an event, um, I, You know, I feel like I've noticed it in certain situations. Um, But, yeah, there's still a ton of work to do. I mean, even, like, the Paralympics, I think it was, this was probably maybe only the second year or so that um, even Paralympic sports were televised, Um, you know. So it's, that that tells you something in terms of where we're headed in a positive way, Uh, but it also just kind of shows how far behind um some stuff is too, right? So Yeah. Now
0: sportability has the their four core sports. Are you planning on expanding that at all?
1: Uh nope. We're 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 pretty busy <laughs> with what we <laughs> thought. Um, we actually in and, and before my time, we actually still see a lot of I think there's about seven or eight sports. My colleague uh, who's our executive director um, you know, quite a few years ago was in my position and yeah, I don't know how he oversaw so many sports um but yeah it, what it really comes down to is uh, because we're a nonprofit um is the funding right so if we have too many sports under our mandate we have to split up that funding even right. more so and then are we able to deliver uh in an effective way yeah good point so it's, it's kind of that balance as well of um you know what's in our capacity um and that's capacity staff wise or funding wise and everything, because we want, you know, we want to be able to offer good services. Right. So, yeah.
0: so where does, where does uh, sportability get its funding?
1: Uh, so majority of our funding is, um, through government grants. Mm-hmm. Um, so via sport is our, uh, sports sector leader. Uh, so basically how that works is they receive funding for sports for BC from the government, um, we provide, like we as a sports association amongst every other sport or organization in BC provide, you know, feedback on where we would like to put funding, uh, where we see needs. Um, and, you know, they communicate that with the government because they have their say as well. Uh, and then really they develop these grants um, based on all that information and feedback uh, where we can apply for things um, and be able to deliver on that. Uh, so that's majority of our funding. And then, um, we look at other different types of funding. Um, like I think different banks have some grants that come out. Um, and we have our national sport organizations that provide that sport specific funding for us to apply for, uh, for different projects. Um, and then also, you know, fundraising and, uh, Yeah, really looking at different ways to diversify funding is is something that's, you know, kind of ongoing Um, because you never you never really guaranteed anything. Yeah, exactly. You always
0: have to apply for it. Right. So,
1: yeah. And you and it's good to to mix things up uh, a bit and have different resources. Um, And really, again, it goes back to even just building, you know, strong relationships, even to have something sustainable moving forward as well.
0: Absolutely. So uh, last and final question, how do people get in touch with you for more information?
1: Yeah, so the best way to get in touch with me is through email, uh, and that would be my first name, Jade, J-A-D-E, last name Werger, W-E-R-G-E-R, at sportabilitybc.ca. They can also check out our website uh, just to kind of learn more information and uh, maybe see where active programs are and um, just learn about our different sports, and that's on our website at uh, sportabilitybc.ca. Um, and then we also have our telephone number, uh, which hopefully I can remember off the top of my head is 604-324-1411. Um, and that just goes to our office, but, uh, yeah, usually email is a best way to reach me at, uh, cause I'm kind of in and out quite a bit. So.
0: Well, that's great. I think that uh, about wraps it up, Jade. I think we've covered all the little facets of sportability. So thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thank you. And yeah, I encourage people, if you don't see anything on our website or you didn't hear anything um, today that you had questions about, to so please contact me. Even if there's not an existing program, say, in your community, uh, it's something we're always looking to expand and offer um, just so more people can have access.
0: Fantastic. You have been listening to DDA's Encouraging Abilities podcast. Our guest today has been Jade Werger, uh, the Sport Development Coordinator for Sportability BC. Stay tuned for parts two and three of our Adaptive Sports series. I am your host, Evan Kelly. Thanks for listening.